If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ah, your majesty, your highness, your royalness, your royalty. <laughs> Princess Di, we bow before you. We kiss your hand. And please don't smack us in the face for doing it. <laughs> oh, no, no. I am so happy to hear your voice. It is a wonderful thing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, Diana, um, listen, I I speak in sweeping generality sometimes, and I just want to say up front that uh, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> and you're so good at it. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I very often for years I have avoided – well, I'll tell you a secret. When I was, a, now I can tell this. When people used to call Russia's show and the first words out of their mouth were George Soros, that was one of the key flags to me that they were not going to get on because uh-huh. I was just like, no, you know, I, I don't want this, this whole Soros thing. I'm sick of it. You know, Soros is the boogeyman behind everything, right? And then, um, now I'm in looking at all these Soros stories and I'm like, he is the boogeyman. There's a story on Fox News about how George Soros has bankrolled dark money. Such racist terminology all the time. How do the liberals came up with that, by the way, dark money. I mean, where is it from? Is it from Africa? Dark money. It's like, as opposed to what? As opposed to white money? Dark money. Anyway. Soros is banking rolling dark money hub for activists pushing to dismantle the police grants show. So George Soros is involved with this stuff. Well, yes, I think that there's always been evidence that he has used his he's a billionaire and he has used his money in ways to further his agenda and he's been doing it for literal decades. So I agree with you. This, you know, he is treated on the right by a bogeyman, but he is a bogeyman. I don't understand personally why he has been allowed to get away with a lot of his activities, which are nefarious and illegal. But that's another uh, subject. But in this case, you know, his foundation to promote open society that he has, you know, a whole network of of organizations with the words open society. That's his rubric for basic communism. But they are putting millions of dollars into organizations to basically get rid of police. And so that's what this article is about. But it's all absolutely legal. They're training community advocates and, you know, there's nothing illegal about it. But what he is behind is is the funding of a lot of electoral offices, um, such as, you know, district attorneys. and, And that is behind a lot of this unwillingness to prosecute crime. The no BL movement, the no jail movement, the catch and release in the big cities, L.A., the worst, 
are funded, the the offices are funded by Soros organizations. So they have figured out on the American system choke points for justice. So they put, uh, Soros puts his people in there because he figured out that it costs very little money because it's not very competitive to fund these low-level offices. But they are the ones who decide whether or not to prosecute. And so we have been seeing the results of it everywhere. And it is quite an interesting thing that it's getting more mainstream attention. As you say, it's been sort of on the on the fever swamps of the right, the Soros. And then they came up with this new idea on the left to to say any attack on Soros is anti-Semitic, which it is not, because the the right has been on to this guy for quite a while and what his money has funded. So I'm very glad to have Fox do some investigative reporting. They've actually looked at the books and found out where this money is going. And this is for the abolitionist movement. That's what they call it, where they actually want to and say so abolish police. This is not just defund. This is abolish. And so Soros money abolish is behind police. this movement. Yes. Does anybody know where this guy lives? I mean, not his address. I mean, what's is he in the United States or is he like overseas somewhere? Well, he's everywhere, but he has homes. I believe he has one in Westchester. So he is, you know, he has been kicked oh. out of some companies, uh, countries, I believe he is not allowed to set foot in Great Britain, but he has homes and headquarters in many, many countries, including America. Huh. All right. Next up, on do you have anything, by the way, on your list that you, that, 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 uh, that you want to, you know, bring up? Sure. To, or is it I, always, I always have a list. All right. So this is the most fun story in that we – probably all guessed this, but CNN reported last week that the White House has been quietly, quote unquote, trying to reshape economic coverage. They have had all the mainstream, the major (laughs) newsrooms at the White House, and they've been trying to, quote, reshape the economic coverage. So media companies have been meeting in secret with the Biden White House because the Biden White House has been upset that the news has gotten out that the economy is a problem. So they are trying to spin the mainstream media. Interestingly enough, right away, Dana Milbank, the Washington Post columnist, came out with a story story saying the media treats Biden as badly or worse than Trump. Here's proof. And he went through some sort of algorithm to claim that Biden is being treated worse than Trump was by the media. So that came on the heels of this, you know, this push to change the coverage. And here here's some interesting uh, headlines that Dana Milbank thought were negative. Dems start to face the hard questions. That was one headline. Biden tries to calm nerves about 2024. These are seen by Dana Milbank as horribly negative and attack headlines on Biden, proving that Biden is being treated worse than Trump was, which is laughable. Anybody understands that. And it's very hard for the White House to spin the economic news when afterwards, yesterday, we just found out that inflation rose at the highest rate in 40 years. 
So it is now at 6.8% inflation, which is horrible for ordinary people. That is, and that to me undervalues exactly how bad it's been. I think it's much higher, but that is the official word, 6.8% when in fact it has been around two or under two for generations and this is this is coming in a in a way that is going to snowball and unfortunately this is i mean biden claims he says i think this is the peak of the crisis i think it's the low point i think we're going to face double digit inflation very soon goodness so I good hope luck you're wrong. With the, good luck with the spin yeah you know by the way that brings up an interesting question to my mind i remember when dana milbank was relevant I used to read his column, and I still read his columns once in a while, but to me, they're almost so nonsensical. I don't even bother to comment on them. Um, and then there was, remember back in the day when everybody couldn't wait to see what Modo thought and who cares what Modo thinks anymore? <laughs> and, yes. And, and then there were a bunch of others. What has happened to, uh, just your opinion, what has happened to, to leftist columnists? Have they all bought the Kool-Aid? Are there any that stand out today? Is Then there's that Jennifer Rubin. I mean, I, for the life of me, I don't understand why the Washington Post hires this, hired this woman. I don't understand how they can keep her, given the vitriol and venom that spews out of her columns on a weekly basis. But, I mean, that must be what they want. But yes, are there you any... answered your own question. That's exactly what they want. They want uh, their mm-hmm. ears tickled, as it were, on the left, and their readership loves to see and read Trump hate, and so that's what they're getting. Are there any worthwhile columnists in your view from the left that you read and you say occasionally, oh, well, you know, okay, that's a point that needs to be countered, or this is a worthwhile read? Is there anybody out there anymore? Yes, there uh, there are a few that I consider honest. I mean, I will have to, to get their names for you later, but uh, Greenwald on the left has been a consistent true liberal, and he has been defending free speech for a long time. The interesting thing, now that you bring this up, I read in a really good interview in the Wall Street Journal yesterday of uh, the commentary long-term editor, Norman Pethoritz, who is a wonderful mind. And he was talking about being on the left in the 60s and how he departed from them and had a a more conservative bent because what bothered him most was the anti-Americanism on the left. And he loved America. And he said in this interview that the Wall Street Journal published yesterday that that has been increasingly vocal on the left as they have basically taken off their mask and they are blatantly anti-American now. And that is the big spiritual question, he says. Is America a force for good in the world or evil? And he said that is the battle right now. And most of the people on the left are just outright anti-American. And I wow. think that is why you fa- find what you're finding. It is it is really hard to find an honest liberal writer because they are all blatantly anti-American. Okay. Now, speaking to that, there's an opinion piece in the New York Times today, why we need to address the scam culture. Now, I looked at that headline, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we do need to address the scam culture. And then I read it, and I'm like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Yeah, this is a word salad. Uh, 
here, here is this woman. Her name is Tressy McMillan Cotton. She's an associate professor at the University of North Carolina. And she basically thinks everything is a scam. And so, in her opinion, we need to get rid of them. And she includes the Supreme Court. The Supreme she Court. Says, what happens when the Supreme Court becomes just another scam, a scheme to subject women to conditional personhood for the purpose of political gain? What so, does that mean? You know, I, so I said a word salad. So she has she has found she's written a book and she has found a little niche that she calls everything a scam and then writes about it. But okay. to me, that's a scam. It's a scam. Yeah, I've written a book, too, by the way. Um, you know. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Right yes. on the radio. That needs to be bought. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Op-ed. Supreme Court decision on Texas abortion law puts all of our constitutional rights in jeopardy. That's the Los Angeles Times. The Los Angeles Times worried about a a Texas abortion law that puts our constitutional rights in jeopardy while in Beverly Hills, among the upper, upper, upper elite of Hollywood, now you have home invasions that result in murder while you have smash and grabs in some of the high-end stores on Rodeo Drive, where you have this incredible homeless camp that stretches on for miles, where you have people being fired by the hundreds out of their school system for not complying with their bogus uh, mandates on coronavirus, where you have students being shuffled out of school because they won't get vaccinated, and they're being forced into these online learning facilities that have already proven in L.A. not to work. This is what the editors at the L.A. Times think is the big important thing, the Supreme Court's decision on the Texas abortion law, because it might put everybody's civil rights in jeopardy. What gives here? Well, I think that this is an interesting point of view that is shared by many. Slate actually put it in this way, John Roberts has lost control. (laughs) 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 And, you know, really, interestingly enough, John Roberts, the Supreme Court lead head guy, also had a hissy fit and said the same thing that all the people on the left are saying. He basically said this is the end of the constitutional system. He sided with the left, as he does often, and basically agreed with Sonia Sotomayor, the wise Latina, where she said the court betrays not only the citizens of Texas, but also our constitutional system of government. And that is what the entire left is now framing this argument on this particular abortion law in Texas. So, you know, you're going to hear more of this high-powered rhetoric, but the thing that the Democrat Party is worried about is they are admitting that this is not going to drive votes, which is surprising to me and surprising to Democrats, that it turns out that a lot of these, you know, up and coming, the two laws you referenced, the Mississippi and the Texas, has not gotten people into the streets at all on the left. And that is unusual because they have their people ready to go usually, but this has not caused the activists. Maybe it's early. Maybe that's, you know, we're, we're in for it. I don't know, but it's a very interesting political development that this has been met with basic quiet in the country. Well, here's something that I didn't know until recently. 
even if the Mississippi law is is uh, which does not ban abortion, by the way, it right. bans abortion after 15 weeks right. and the Texas law six weeks. But what I didn't know is that most other countries have the same kind of provisions that permit abortion. They don't do this third trimester thing. They right. do like 15 weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. I didn't know that until recently. Well, the interesting thing about the Texas law is that it has a new mechanism, and this is what the left is afraid of. They have been saying this provides a roadmap to conservatives everywhere because the law itself basically says that the uh, elected officials in the state are not the ones who enforce the law. This is a civil matter that individual citizens can sue abortion providers in civil courts. So there's not a, so in other words, the text, the Supreme Court said, well, there's nothing we can do because this is not something that state officials are going to. Amazing. So this is one of the things that I think these people feel threatened about, as you say, because all of a sudden, if you have average citizens that are able to sue successfully, this can upturn the entire liberal scheme. Yes, and they know it. That's why you're having this kind of rhetoric. But the individual population, the individual citizens out in the hinterlands are not seeing it that way. They're kind of greeting this information with a shrug because this has already happened in Texas. Though That six-week law is in effect, and, and abortion providers are not providing abortions after six weeks. So it has already happened. You do not yet see people in Texas marching on it from the left, which, has, as I would have predicted, would have happened. Well, Diana, that's all we have time for today. Unfortunately, we'll be back during the week and cover some more. Uh, there is one thing. I, You know, we ought to do a newsletter, Diana. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that more. James Sounds Golden. Good. Okay. Thank you, Princess of Policy, Diana Me, And you will be joining us in the week upcoming as we move yeah. closer and closer toward Christmas. Looking forward to it. Thank you, James. 